Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of People at Work. I'm Faye, Jostle's content marketing strategist. People at Work is a podcast created by Jostle, a tech company based in Vancouver, Canada. Not only are we the creators of an employee success platform, but we've spent the past decade finding out how to improve people's experience and days at work. In this episode, we're looking back on our previous conversations about challenges most organizations face and how to overcome them. We spoke with industry leaders, including presidents, founders, and CEOs about the challenges of change management, showcasing vulnerability, and making moves towards building better workplaces. Continue listening to learn more and see what tips you can adopt at your organization. Up first is our chat with former chairman of Syntus, Robert Collip, about how to build a better organization. Well, uh, the way we described our culture is that it consisted of three elements. Uh, first was a principal objective, a one sentence statement that drove every major decision in our company. The second was our corporate character, which is a bunch of adjectives and phrases described how we went about doing our jobs, how we felt about our customers, how we felt about our employees who we called partners, how we conducted our affairs, how we acted, how we looked and so forth. And then the third part of our culture was our management system where we had developed a system of documenting the solutions to recurring problems in the company so that people weren't constantly reinventing the wheel and they could take advantage of the knowledge and experience of others who had dealt with the same problems in the past. We actually made the decision to define our culture a number of years ago when we sat down one day and talked about the fact we had lost a few management people. We were small at the time, there weren't many. Mm-hmm. And we concluded in that meeting that the number one reason why we lost people, or in some cases asked them to leave, is they were not compatible with our values. And we said, well, what are those values? And we began to talk about those values. And we realized that it was really more our fault because we had not documented what do we believe in? What do we stand for? How do we want the company to run and so forth? And therefore people really didn't have a chance to evaluate our culture when they came to work for us. And we didn't evaluate them as to their compatibility with our culture. And so we wrote a book called The Spirit is the Difference, described in great detail what it was like to work at Synops, what we believed in, how we treated people, how we treated our employees or customers, how we acted, how we went about doing things. And that culture then became alive. And we, every new management person or a company attends a course where we bring that book to life, so to speak, by giving examples and situations that we had and dealt with and how we dealt with them and how it was in sync with the value system we created. And we, we really ultimately got to the point where we called our culture the ultimate competitive advantage because it was intangible. You couldn't see it, but it was a, a value system that the vast majority of our people bought into, believed in, conducted their affairs that way. And I think when you're able to accomplish that, you, you, you become an awesome force. I once described an organization as everybody in the organization has a boat. Unfortunately, too many organizations, half the people row in one way, they have the row in the other way, and the boat doesn't go very far. But if you can get the majority, the vast majority of the people in any organization to row in the same direction, it becomes an awesome force. And what that means is that they buy into a value system. It's incumbent on the top management to define what is that value system and communicate it, but most importantly, live it every day. 
Moving on, Dr. Grace Lee, the CEO and founder of Mastery Insights, teaches us how to design a culture to lead real change. I think that the ones that really do get it and change, yeah. they're the ones that, first of all, set an intention that they're going to be open to it. Yeah. Right. And it's accepting that change is inevitable. And I know that's a cliche. Yeah. Change is, is a cliche. <laughs> but honestly, as cliche as it is, you know, there's this part of us that wants things to stay the same. Yep. Because familiarity is where comfort is, and it's also where we're the experts. Yeah. Right? And so there's the ego part of it, but it's also the comfort in knowing that when things don't change and we've spent the time to become an expert in that field, as long as things don't change, we can be the expert mm -hmm. and we can we can make the contribution that we can as an expertise with expertise because we're familiar with it. Yep. But as soon as things change, now we're like equal ground, we're we're we're, <laughs> we're novices in it. And it can be uncomfortable, mm -hmm. right? And there's a learning curve associated with that. And then there's time it takes to establish, reestablish authority, you know, reestablish expertise, and and reestablish your footing in that market, mm -hmm. right? So there's that as well, that 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 way of thinking and an invitation to change as a way of improvement and growth, right? Yeah. And that's for people who really place a high value on growth, right? Growth and contribution, mm -hmm. right? The as as two of the basic human needs, growth and contribution. Yeah. So if those are really high values of yours, as those companies put on their mission statements and their value statements, mm -hmm. right? Then that's when they can really embrace that change. Right? Yeah. So that's one thing. And I think the other piece of it is that if you if you look at looking at the leaders that are in that in that organization, the ones that are open to change are the ones that know what their desired end state are. Mm -hmm. They know what their desired end state is and they're able to communicate it to the company. And the desired end state is could be a moving, could be moving, and it depends on the context of the situation at the time. Yeah. But they're able to communicate it in a way that everybody in that organization makes decisions that align with the vision. Yeah. Right. And if the vision is always one that is achievable, one that is specific, one that is um, context, contextual, and and yeah. and timeless, then change will naturally occur, and they will naturally adopt to it. Next, the president of Eponym Equation, Ebony Smith, shares how you can thrive in a volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous environment. Okay, so it's one, everyone that I've ever worked in in 20 years before I stepped into transformational leadership development was a Buko workplace. It was volatile, it was uncertain, it was complex, and it was amb ambiguous. There was a lot of ambiguity in how you're showing up at work. You know that you're there to do a skill, um, and you're there to produce a product, but you're just not quite sure what the path looks like at the end of the day. It's very much like deciding you're going to drive from, you know, Calgary to Vancouver. You know, you're going to get on the highway. Do you realize how many, you know, animals you're going to see along the way, if there's going to be snow, if there's going to be ice? You just know that if you start the path eventually, if you keep going, you're going to get to your destination. And that's what very much like for a lot of people who are working inside of these uncertain places, what it looks like for them. Um, when you're on a construction site, we have an idea, a guideline, we have safety plans, we tabletop. But in the end, you just don't know what's going to happen that day because there's a lot of complex factors that can play that can come into play 
as you're constructing something new. The same for working on the trading floor. I was on an oil and gas trading floor. So you just, you never knew what customers or trading partners were going to come in. And you also didn't know what the marketplace was going to do or what the, your company's specific needs were going to have that day, because maybe something changed operationally at one of the refineries or inside our pipeline system. So just understanding that you come in with a skill set and you learn how to play the cards that are being dealt to you at, the, at that moment. My perspective is people need low risk uh, places to hone their skills. And because iron sharpens iron, they need time for reflection. They need to learn which skills are very specific to navigating a VUCA environment. So for everybody who you heard me say, VUCA stands for volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and, and ambiguity. The antidote to it is vision, understanding, clarity, and then agility, right? And so if you wanna switch your VUCA environment, those are the skills you have to plant and then nurture in all of the leaders who are working in, in those types of situations. And so there are so many examples of where leadership has failed us globally um, from a government level, from federal systems, from um, healthcare systems, from policies around immigration to, you know, transportation systems regarding the airlines, the cruise lines, all of the things as we were kind of navigating this uh, space of figuring out how to live endemically, right? At the beginning, we were very much in a pandemic and now we're all navigating what does endemic look like for us as a global community? What does it look like for a global workforce as well? What does it look like for your local workforce? So all of those things, there's lots of case studies that we'll be able to go back and view um, and reflect upon. But in real time, it's really about What's the clarity of the goal that the vision that the leader's trying to get to? And does he have a certain number of clarity filters that will help him navigate the spaces? Does the leader have the ability to depolarize the thinking and the points of views that are in the room? Depolarization is a big skill, along with having trusted clarity filters. So it could be in a, a, a leadership team, it could be a, a trusted set of advisors, it could be strategic thought partners. Um, things around understanding the ability to communicate and then also organize smart mobs are also skills that leaders need inside of a VUCA world. How do you use technology to mobilize the people around you so that you can get the common goal done? And so we see this very uh, executed very well by Generation Z. And so just in the way that they live their lives. So the, the older half of Generation Z is 14 to 24. They're very much digital natives. Anybody who say like seven years old right now to, a, to the 14 mark, they're cross reality natives. They are very, they do a great job of integrating technology into how they meet up with their friends, how they're living their lives, how they talk to their parents, just kind of anything. And so some of the examples, uh, I'm American, so I'm going to give you a few American examples. There was a rally for one of, during our presidential election cycle, and our current president was running for re-election. He did his first rally right after our numbers went down in the United States. And the TikTokers decided that they were going to send out messages that would disintegrate and collect all the tickets for the rally so that it was empty. And that was a TikTok smart mob movement that happened over technology. And these kids that were like 
12 to 17 years old were collecting 20, 30 tickets each to these political rallies with no intention of going. It was just a thing. And that's how they kind of smart mob organize themselves. And when we think about all of any of the protests that we've seen that have happened around the world, starting from like, say, the Arab Spring into the protests we've seen in the United States, a lot of that happens on social media. The ability to organize people in a smart way using technology is a VUCA leadership skill, especially when people are kind of polarized around their political views or how they're showing up at work. There's a lot of nuanced things that come in a, a technology-abled knowledge economy that I don't think a lot of organizations and teams really think about how that plays into how leaders lead. You know, we entered the Twitterverse and just being able to get a, a clear statement out in 140 characters that will motivate and then also reassure the people that your audience is part of that VUCA leadership skill. There's a lot of nuance inside of it when before I would say we hit this Corona phase of our lives, most people wouldn't have given it the, the interests and magnitude that was needed. But now that we see what's happening, that's how in the very beginning, a lot of us got our news around what was happening as the pandemic began to spread. And so there's a lot of things that are happening inside the VUCA leadership development that I think organizations will have to drill down and begin to think about what it, it's more than a communication skill. How can you get clarity out in 140 characters? It's more than being able to motivate people. How can you organize people using technology so that they want to follow you? How can you internally create your own viral video or viral sentence campaign? Because those are the things that are happening in our non-work lives that will have to be utilized inside the workplace in order for companies to thrive. Our conversation with Matt Thillman, the founder of Golden Bristle, shows us why recognition is most powerful in small doses. I'll tell you two things are really important for me to say. One is uh, this observation has come from my own pain. And secondly, I think because of that, I was, I was hesitant to even bring this as a topic that I speak and teach about because it feels, I'm already a coach that feels so fluffy uh, and this topic of recognition in what I think of maybe the hardcore business world can feel a little too fluffy. But what I found over and over again with my clients and, and the people I work with is they asked me to talk about this topic. They asked me to bring it to the world. Um, and in order for me to talk about why I think it's so important, I have to talk about this pain that I discovered, that I uncovered in myself and my own people. So it's really two things. One is that my people tend to take on really big, audacious missions. They have the ability to really see what's possible and what's ahead and then really charge towards it. And this is a huge gift because, well, it, it's a higher purpose that you and I talked about, and that's really great at attracting others to get there, right? To, to kind of join us on that purpose. It's also a curse though, because uh, really big missions they require hundreds, if not thousands of small steps, small wins before we get there. And because we tend to be visionary and so focused towards the end, when we have a win, we're really quick to step over it and really look at what's next. Mm -hmm. and, and so we're always kind of future focused, which means we never get to focus on what we've done so far. So that's one part of the problem. The other is that my people tend to be really brilliant. They're really good at just accomplishing the things they set out for. So 
that means they can tend to have really high expectations. It ends up taking us really big wins for us to even deem them worthy of celebration, right? And of course, what happens is those big victories take so much energy to achieve that when we get there, we don't really want to look at it anymore. We don't want to celebrate it. We want to find something else to focus on, which going back to the first thing is whatever is next to accomplish. So those are the pains that I really find with big visionary leaders like myself and with the people I work for. Last but not least, we chatted with Dan Mannion, co-founder and CEO of Donut, about staying connected as a company grows. So there's there's a bunch of different things that we we do. Um, we're still we're still relatively small, and we're all in this the same office. Um, or about mm-hmm. a dozen people. So we, um, you know, we're still below the threshold of of not knowing each other. But yeah. regardless, we we do still use donut. Um, folks go out and um, grab coffee or or do whatever whatever they want to go out and do. Um, we do mm-hmm. have a tradition of when folks are out um, taking a selfie of themselves on the outing and posting that in our our donut Slack channel and then voting. Oh, nice. on, uh, a selfie of the of the week, um, so that kind of keeps things kind of fun and a little a little competitive. Um, we do also mix up uh, group size internally to kind of keep it. You know, if we've done a round of of one on ones, then we might make it trios um, just to kind of create a different different mix of of different voices. That you know, mm-hmm. we've all had one on ones at this point, but we may not have had every you know combination of a a three person outing. And there's just kind of interesting yeah. things that, that come out of that. Um, beyond that, from a, um, from a culture standpoint, um, we, we actually, uh, earlier this month just took a, uh, we, we do an annual, uh, beach retreat. Uh, so we did that as a, as a whole company, which is always, uh, really, really, really fun to kind of spend a few days in a, a beach house together um and do some reflecting on our own culture and then also just kind of get some time to to hang out together um yeah and then i think the other thing is we we definitely take a very kind of let's experiment and try things with our own culture mm-hmm. i mean we have so much inspiration from our customers uh that when we see someone doing something cool or interesting um we you know take that as an opportunity to maybe it's something we should try And that's it for our episode today. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed and learned from our guests' ideas and tips about creating an environment for employees to thrive. See you next time on the People at Work podcast.